This is a very special episode of the podcast because we have a guest, and not just any guest, the great Rabbi Dubin, Rabbi Nussin Dubin. Uh, he was on the podcast three and a half years ago talking about kosher, and he's back to talk about kosher. A lot has happened over the last three and a half years in his personal life. He's written a book. He's published a book. He's been accepted as a, a renowned author on very complex uh, subjects of halacha. And he's also launched a new course, and he's at the cutting edge of innovation in the whole uh, subject, the labyrinthine subject of maintaining kosher in uh, in the world. And um, this past week or two, there was a, a massive bombshell in the kosher world. Uh, there was uh, a restaurant that pulled some chicanery and the, the whole kosher world's up in arms. So we figured we'd bring him onto the podcast to give us a little insight into the story, what went wrong, how things like this are typically handled, what are the processes, what are the systems to prevent such blunders, but to kind of give us the big picture of the kosher world, where things are, where they're heading. Welcome, Rabbi Dubin, back to the Torch Center. So great to have you here. And uh, it's such an honor. Thank you, Rabbi Wolby, for the very flowery introduction. Yes, it's been very interesting, a lot of developments since the last time we spoke in the kosher world, particularly. So the story that everyone's talking about now is this story in Manalpa, New Jersey. I could just give you a brief synopsis of what happened. There was a Chinese restaurant in Manalpa, New Jersey, that there was a story going, there was a video that was circulating online, somebody had seen the proprietor of this Chinese restaurant in Restaurant Depot purchasing non-kosher chicken and meat. So we have, this is an owner. This is the proprietor, the owner. Yeah, the owner of a kosher restaurant is going to a big depot, like a warehouse, where you buy, you don't just buy like an individual by Costco or Kroger, you buy like a whole bunch, like, you know, in bulk. Boxes and boxes of Boxes and of non-kosher uh, meat right. and chicken. Precisely. So this, this, this video was being shared online and which is obviously quite a concerning video considering that he has a kosher restaurant. Now, there hasn't been, you know, at that point when this video was circulating, there were no indication that any of that was brought into his restaurant. And it's possible that he, he may have other restaurants, non-kosher restaurants as well. So the story itself was wait, wait, sort slow of... Wait, slow down, slow down. So the owner of the kosher restaurant... This is a non-Jewish owner. Okay, oh. so, okay, slow down. So there's a non-Jewish owner who owns a Jewish restaurant or a kosher restaurant, ostensibly. Correct. Correct. And he has other restaurants as well? My understanding was that he had non-kosher restaurants as well. So this is like a, like a restaurant tour. And he has kosher restaurants, he has non-kosher restaurants, and someone sees him and takes a video of him, Restaurant Depot, buying a ton of non-kosher meat. Right, a few boxes. Okay. Now, that itself, considering my understanding that he had non-kosher restaurants, it itself is not really a smoking gun because you got to buy chicken and meat for those restaurants too. But I think there's doing more details in the story. Um, either way... What this video initiated was a lot of people being very nervous, and the agency started doing a deep dive into whether or not this is a smoking gun or just nothing to be concerned about. Okay, let, let, let's slow it down here. If I taste meat or chicken that's kosher, 
it comes from the same animal as the non-kosher version of that, right? Just one of them is processed properly, one of them is slaughtered properly, there's oversight, it's done properly. According to halacha, that becomes kosher. And the identical meat, you can't taste the difference, right? <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Actually, we actually had a um, we had a Zoom call yesterday with the leaders of many of the kosher agencies throughout the world. We had about 85 people on the call. And we were discussing, you know, the aftermath of this story, and maybe we'll get back to this call in, a little bit later in the podcast. But one idea that was mentioned was actually having kosher meat. Um, there's a requirement. Jewish law prohibits consumption of blood, and therefore all kosher meat and chicken, as you know, needs to be salted. So kosher meat and chicken is saltier and has a higher sodium content than non-kosher Interesting. chicken. So you might be able to tell the difference. So somebody was recommend was suggesting. Um, I don't know if this is something that's actually been tested, but it's fascinating to look into uh, having a sodium checker do spot with doing spot checks on our chicken and meat in our establishments to ensure that there's a high sodium content. Interesting, but as a general rule, the, the problem is is that for most people, you, would, you without, wouldn't be able to. You know the difference? No. It tastes the same. Correct. One of them's kosher. It's good for you spiritually. One of them's non-kosher. It's bad for you spiritually. And and the proprietor is is incentivized. To swap in non-kosher meat because I assume because it's cheaper, yeah, it's exactly. cheaper. So it he could double his margins, easily. triple his margins by just taking, and no one could tell the difference. Correct. Right. So that's that's Correct. the problem. That's the problem. So they started doing a deep dive into this. And, and clarify, you said agency. What do you mean by that? Okay. So the way the way and I think we'll get to this in a little bit of what the setup is, but kosher establishments will typically have a kosher certifying agency. So you can hang up a shingle and say your store is kosher, but that doesn't really have any that doesn't really have any meaning unless you have an independent auditing agency, kosher certifying agency that's taking responsibility for ensuring that the product is kosher. And this is known as a hashkacha or a certifying agency, a kosher agency, and there's about fifteen hundred of those worldwide. So if I want to eat kosher, I come to this proprietor. I don't know if it's kosher or not. I know he's incentivized to slip in some non-kosher. I don't want that. So I hire the independent agency. Correct. Or the, he hires the independent agency. He would and that, hire gives, the that gives credibility to the restaurant Correct. to know that it's actually kosher because they're verifying and they, and they have a reputation and they have good systems, et cetera. Okay. Right. Exactly. So like if you, if you decide to put on your product, if you want to advertise your product as organic, people would like to see that there is a independent impartial agency that's actually taking responsibility for ensuring that your product is organic. Does that make sense? Yes. And there are actually some states that have laws about uh, misrepresentation that you can actually be, um, there, it would be, it would be misadvertising and you can, you can be sued if you advertise something as kosher, if it's not actually kosher. And if it doesn't have an agency behind it or. Correct. And that's, that's actually the case in Texas. Um, Interesting. So you, Texas can't, you can't claim that it's kosher Right. right. So, so that's actually that. something where we, we come across. We do come across this periodically, where where you'll have usually it's 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 generally not malicious intent. People just don't realize, and they're like, "Oh, I think my stuff is kosher," and I put up a shingle and say, "Oh, well, kosher but a lot certified." People don't know what that even means. Yeah, they right? don't know what that is. Correct. Exactly. So they don't know what it is, and they'll say, "Oh, it's kosher certified," and um, they're actually in violation of Texas statute that clearly prohibits anyone from advertising their product as kosher unless it's actually kosher. So you could sue them. Probably, right. I mean, or just, just clarify for right, them. Right, it's really, you typically a cease and desist letter. Cease and desist. Right. Um, not that we have a way, not that we're the policemen of this. Typically, it would be something coming from the state, but we're 
informing them that you should just be aware that you're in violation of a Texas statute. Okay, so we have an agency and there are rumors or videos circulating online. Look at this guy. He's the owner of the restaurant. But what's he doing over here with these boxes, cartons of non-kosher food? The agency launches an investigation. What happens next? So they launched a full, deep investigation. And ultimately, they released a statement that based on their findings, it seems that this individual did indeed, over a period of time, slip in non-kosher chicken, possibly meat as well. And into the kosher restaurant. Into not the-, the kosher restaurant, correct. Now, we don't know necessarily. We have no proof that the boxes that he actually or you know had in Restaurant Depot actually made it to the restaurant. We don't have any way of knowing. We don't know whether that happened. But what they do know and what they release to the public is that their investigation has revealed that that is indeed the case. And they have an owner's admission who ultimately admitted to that as well. He closed down so his restaurant. The owner cheated. The owner cheated and he admitted and, under and, pressure. And, uh, and, and the yeah. unfortunate uh, patrons of that restaurant unwittingly, unknowingly consumed non-kosher. Some people did over the course of some period of time. Correct. Correct. Wow. That's a, that's a big scandal. <laughs> this a was a popular thing. restaurant? Very popular. Oh, wow. Well, supposed, the food was supposed to be – I have never – I never tasted it, but the food was supposed to be fantastically good and fantastically cheap. So the cheap part we understand a little better now. Oh wow, wow! This is a this is a terrible, terrible story, terrible story, and it's happened in the past, right? This is not. Uh... This has happened in the past many times, unfortunately. I mean, not. I wouldn't say it's common, but it unfortunately has happened throughout history a number of times. And like you mentioned earlier, it's the question of um, understanding that you could double your margins by bringing in non-kosher chicken and meat. That makes it very tempting for a dishonest charlatan proprietor to bring in non-kosher product. And that's precisely the purpose of a kosher certifying agency, which I think we should we should discuss sort of what the setup of yeah, like what a typical how agency does such a thing happen? that work. Uh, w- w- so you I know. think we need to back up a little bit before we even understand how it happens. Let's understand the process in place to ensure that it typically doesn't happen. Does that make sense? We hope. We hope. Right. Exactly. So generally speaking, from a – I'm going to use the the hashgacha, right? So hashgacha is a certifying agency. So the hashgacha system is as follows. You have an agency that's hired. I'll use our agency just as an example, but it would be fundamentally similar in, in not only anywhere in the United States, but anywhere really throughout the world. We would be hired, sign a contract as a service provider to provide an independent certification and set up a system to ensure that everything in this restaurant is kosher. Our responsibility as an agency would be, number one, to do a full review of the establishment to see what it would take to make it kosher if it's not kosher yet or if they're a new establishment. We set up protocols, set up systems, procedures. That's the very first level. So you kind of analyze the, the, the restaurant or the food establishment, figure out what they would need figure out the systems, the protocols that have to be in place in order for this to – in order for the customer to walk in and just be totally blind and say, I know everything in this place. Once I walk in, I know it's good. I'm kosher because it's covered by the experts at the agency. Correct. Correct. So that's at the – that's sort of at the at the, the higher level bird's eye view, the first analysis and setting up a protocol. So like every establishment that comes on board with us um, – and again, I'm only using us as an example – 
is we would write up a full protocol manual manual for them, you know, something like 10 to 15 pages of precisely how everything would need to run according to kosher standards. This is how you would need to order the food. This is what kind of everything from top to bottom specific for their restaurants based on the way the restaurant is set up and how it's situated and so on and so forth. They would take that, review it. We go back and forth and make sure they understand everything. And then at that point, we start initiating the kosher implementation of that. And what does that entail? Okay. So typically speaking, especially in a meat restaurant, it's pretty universally accepted to have what's called a mashkiach tamidi. Okay. Mashkiach tamidi. Tamidi. Mashkiach tamidi is mashkiach. The word mashkiach is a kosher supervisor. And tamidi is constant. So meaning we, we require a kosher supervisor to be on site every single minute that that restaurant kitchen is open. So the kitchen's open. There's going to be a representative of the agency. There. There. On site. Watching. Making sure that all the protocols have been followed, all the systems have been followed, all the food has been monitored and checked. Everything is in place, operational, to make sure that everything that happens in this restaurant is kosher. Correct. That's like, you know, imagine having a quality assurance professional. But I guess the difference is that the quality assurance professional is really a representative of the independent agency. Right. So this is not like spot checks. We're coming in every once in a while. This is someone's on the ground 24-7 or as long as the, like you said, as long as the kitchen is open, even if the restaurant's not open, right? So the kitchen's open, they're preparing the food. Correct. Right? They're they're, they're there dealing with, you know, making the schnitzel, breading the schnitzel for the day, whatever it is. There's got to be someone there representative of the agency who is independent of the restaurant. And well-trained to know what to look out for, to know, understand that protocol, that systems, there all the time to, to make sure that, that there's no, there's no chicanery, there's no, there's no shtick going on. Exactly. Precisely. Okay. Now, in addition to that, we also, the mashkiach needs to be properly trained, just like any quality assurance professional. And the system that we use, and this is actually what we, we, this, what's been created actually since the last podcast is besides for the AI certifying agency, here in Houston, the HKA Houston Kashrus Association, um, I have my own organization known as Kosher Institute of America. We talked about it last time. We yes. talked about it last time. So last time we had just launched a course for people in the home kitchen environment. But since then, we've actually partnered with another organization called ACO, Association of Kosher Organizations. Okay. And they are the umbrella organizations for all the kosher organizations around the world. All 1,500. Well, the ones that meet certain minimum standards and so on. Yes, you know, okay. The, the, the better ones. I guess you can say it that way, right? No, the more rigorous. The more rigorous yeah. accepted mainstream certifications. So we partnered with them. We created a – Just to clarify, you're saying that there are, there are symbols and agencies that fail to meet basic standards – or they're, they're not vigilant enough, or the systems are not rigorous enough, or their oversight's not uh, – it's not constant enough. It means there are flaws and gaps to make it way too porous for problems to walk in. And therefore, if you're relying on those agencies that fall beneath the ACO – ACO, how do you pronounce it? ACO? Standard, then you actually don't know what you're getting because you cannot really, really rely 100% or as much as you could rely. You can't rely as much as you could rely – on their system because they're not they're not good enough. You know they're not up to the the certain kind of certain universal basic standard. standard. Okay, universal standard. Now, the, so you partner with with so ACO. ACO, right? So it is important what you mentioned before as far as understanding agencies. I think it's super important for, for everyone to understand. And this is something that if you're not in cashless, people don't always appreciate. 
if I decide on a Wednesday morning that I am opening up a new agency called ABC Kosher with no standards and no qualifications, and I will be certifying companies, there's nothing to prevent me from doing that. So you can hang up a shingle to open a certifying agency. And that's really why ACO really plays a critical role in this. ACO plays a number of critical roles, but one of them is just just as a basic minimum standard. Now, I will say ACO yeah, is legitimacy. not – Just to give legitimacy. It's like a trade organization. I think of it like a university. You could open a university tomorrow, but there's a certain level of accreditation. You know, it's not recognized by the federal government. Or you Correct. won't be officially accredited. You can't really use those things. You know, it won't give you the right credentials. You know, exactly. Similarly, ACO is like kind of the overseeing body to, get, to say what's an accredited – Kashrus agency and what is just, you know, some guy started in his basement, but it, there's no reliability. Correct. That's it. Precise. Exactly correct. So we, we partnered with them. Kosher Institute of America partnered with ACO. And we created a standardized mashkiach course, an online mashkiach course, about, about eight hours or so with a pretty rigorous final exam. And right now we have, since we started, um, we have about, we have a couple thousand mashkichem enrolled. Wow. Or, you know, graduates, and it's it's being used now by... So anyone in the world, because, again, the, the problems that these agencies face are, they're ubiquitous, right? They're universal. Correct. And, you know, the systems, there's a certain, there's a certain standard of the systems. So they just go online, they log into the uh, Mashtiach course, and then they can learn and become ACO certified. certified. So, yeah, okay. And, and that what that means is, so we have, you know, we have like 30-something agencies on five continents using it now. Um, you know, most of the main, the larger agencies and a lot of the many, the smaller ones, midsize, are using this course to train their mashkichim. And, and it's what's, what's also done, it's, it's made it, number one is every mashkich, when they actually finish the course, they get a photo ID with an expiration date of when, you know, that they receive after the, after they finish the course, which also gives them a sense of appreciation that we, we realize the amount of work that you put into getting this accreditation and so on. And, and then they're listed in a national uh, database. Con- continuing and education. So we have continuing education. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We have continuing education. Um, you have to recertify every three years. Wow. And, but before uh, that, before this, it was just, you know, uh, it was done just every, at, piecemeal. At the agency you know? level, right. Yeah. So every agency, some agencies had fantastic training. Some of them had, you know, a little bit less fantastic. Some had it once a year. Some had it multiple times a year. You know, so it was, diff- it was all over the board and it wasn't so standardized. Now, this is very, very standardized so that sort of everyone is learning sort of the same material. And if you go in and this person has a photo ID mashkiach card, you know that they went through the same system. They could be in South Africa, Australia, England, Chicago, Houston. Now, the Chinese, the the Chinese restaurant, let me ask a question, the Chinese restaurant – was he certified by you? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very fair question. So let's let's actually – I want to get to, you know, really – and that's a very important part of our conversation of how a story like that happens. Okay. So, okay, so, so let's, let's get there. Let's back so up let's there. just back up for a second. So basically we have at Mashiach the Hashgacha level – We have the Hashgacha level. That's the certifying agency. They set up the systems, the protocols, so on. Then they take a kosher supervisor. They have them trained properly and they bring them to the restaurant. Now that – typically the way a meat restaurant would work – which is important to keep in mind, is that like in our restaurants, if people that are not familiar with kosher would be surprised to see the rigorous level of supervision because a meat restaurant has locks on the doors for the kitchen. The only one that has access to open the doors of the kitchen, the only one with the key is the kosher supervisor. 
That's number one. Wait, so you if cannot, I'm a manager, the owner, forget about the manager, the owner. You own a, a restaurant, okay? And you remember that you forgot to take out the chicken to defrost after hours. You have no access to your kitchen. Okay? The oh, only wow. one that could possibly open a kitchen is the kosher supervisor. They're the only ones that have the key. That's number one. Number two is every single certified restaurant has high definition cameras. That's the, the, this is in HK in Houston, this or this is, is already again, universal I'm, I'm standard. For HK because that's what okay. I'm most intimately okay. familiar with. But this is pretty standard for most agencies throughout the world. Mm-hmm. We're not unique in this regard. This is pretty standard. So there's high definition, high definition cameras, recording security cameras at every entrance, at every entrance in the kitchen. And when, who's monitoring it? Is there someone so monitoring it on my phone? Most of them. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, I, I can I can talk to you for a half hour about stories about things that we've discovered on cameras. Um, Give us one or two. <laughs> okay. Um, so cameras are, are are a fantastic, fantastic tool. So I mean, years ago we had we had an incident where we we somebody tipped us off about something that they thought was happening um, in a specific establishment. Um, it was no big deal. We pulled the cameras. We found the time. We verified it, and the what we suspected was going on was indeed going on. And we and pulled. That was, the, that was a cautious violation. It was a cautious violation. Um, you know, again, they weren't slipping in non-kosher to serve the customers, but it was a different type of violation. But either way, it was a very serious violation. And we pulled the certification immediately and they, the restaurant closed down. Wow. And I'll give you, uh, you know, another incident, which is on the other side, sometimes very often will, prope- will protect the proprietor. We had an incident recently, a few weeks ago, somebody called, somebody contacted us in panic. I was passing by one of your restaurants. I saw the shades down. The lights were off in the front. Only the lights were on in the back. And I saw they were working there without a mushkia, cutting chicken. They were all, I don't know what was going on there behind you. You got to start, you got to pull the certification. So I said, relax. What time was it? Tell me the time. I pull out the cameras. I said, actually, the mushkia was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was there. I also think that. And there was that, no issue. I also think that, you know, if you go to a restaurant and the guy doesn't like your politics, or doesn't like you, and you don't know what he's putting in your sandwich, like, it's good to know that there's someone <laughs> watching. If you see a camera, you're not going to do any, you know. A monkey business. Yeah. This, <laughs> yeah. You know. So we have, we have tons and tons and tons of stories. Sometimes. Transparency. Again, transparency. And, and really that's, it also helps. Like, I remember we had a situation where somebody was alleging that there was abuse going on. We checked the cameras and there was no abuse. Uh, abuse, uh, kosher abuse. No, nothing to do with kosher. It was like abuse in, in a certain sense. But, you know, I'm being particularly vague, um, purposely vague. And, um, you know, we, it turned out there was no, there was no violent, there was no abuse going on. You know, it was clear from the cameras that the person was inventing that. So I think it, it's, it protects the proprietors and, and it makes sure. So you're talking about the kitchen has, the only person that has access to the kitchen who could have possibly opened the kitchen is a kosher supervisor. High definition cameras, recording to the cloud. That we have access to anytime. Um, and then we have on, on top of that, the supervisor who opens the kitchen cannot leave until the kitchen is closed and everything is locked up. Wow. Okay. So that's your typical hashgacha setup, at least for a meat restaurant. So we, we have like the, the, the kind of the orientation of the restaurant. What we need, what do we need to do? What are the systems in place? Right. And then the actual day to day implementation, it's, it's really the, the point man is the mashkiach. Correct. Well trained. Knows what to look out for. Has that nice flashy glossy card, right? Well trained. Knows what they need to do. They have the keys. They open up. They unlock and lock. All the facilities, plus we have the, the cameras, the extra layer of protection. Plus, so we on know top of that, we also have spot checks from the higher, the higher level management. So let's say the administrator um, 
you know, they, they would be checking in on a regular basis. So you're saying like the, the, the mashriach, they're kind of like a foot soldier. Like they, they know what they need to do, but they're not like a, a kosher savant. No, they're, you know? they're the captain. They're the captain. Okay. They're the captain. Yeah, but they're, 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 they're the boots on the ground, but you want to have a different ground. set of eyes coming in just to check things out, you know, just, just to, to make, make sure that nothing falls through the eyes. Right. Yes. That's the second, you know, that's, that's, that's the second component, which is like the mashriach component. And then the third component, which is really important, which we have the least amount of say in, is the integrity of the owner, right? We never really know when we're certifying a restaurant, the integrity of the owner. We don't know how they, what their belief is about kosher, what they're, in general, are they cheating in other areas of their life? Are they cheating the government and cheating in taxes and cheating in their personal life? We don't always know the answer to that question. And that's really, really important. And that, that I want to circle back now, if you have a minute, I want to circle back to the, the story with Inman Alban. I think it's important for us to realize that the systems that we have in place, like our systems are pretty rock solid, right? I don't think there's that much more you can do. Yes, we can monitor the meat a little bit better. Maybe, maybe we could do this a little bit better. We can improve a little bit better on this. There's always room for improvement. And when a story like this happens, like I mentioned earlier, we had a call, 85 agency leaders from around the world. We had a call for, you know, well over an hour discussing all different ideas of how we can improve. And that, that's very important. Like we always have to try to see what we can do to, to really upgrade our standards and make it even better. But, and I think this is really important, is that we need to also recognize our limitations and understand that the... What I tell people often is if you ever bought a present for your spouse four weeks before his or her birthday, how difficult is it to hide it for four weeks? Really, really not hard, right? Because you know, right, if I'm buying something for my wife, I know her schedule. I know she's leaving now. She's going to the store. She's going to pick up the kids. She's going to the grocery. She's, right, she'll be out now for 15 minutes, Right. I know the schedule. You know your schedule. You know her schedule. You know she never looks on the top of the closet. She never looks there. Like it's not difficult. When you know somebody's schedule and you understand how people work and so on and so forth, you can fool people. Right. So that's in a positive way when you're getting them a present, right? But in yeah, we need to understand that there are charlatans and there are fraudsters who are out there and have always been out there and will always be out there. And love to operate restaurants. <laughs> So, you know, it's interesting, like in today's world, in the media, everything that happens since it's broadcast so widely, we think of everything as so much more common. A story like this is extremely uncommon. You're talking about tens of thousands of restaurants throughout the world. The fact that it made headlines the way it did means that it's so extremely uncommon. Right, like uh, like they say, like if a dog bites a man, it's not a story. But if a man bites a dog, it's so rare and oh, that becomes a, a story. That, that's that's a the old line. old line they said yeah, about the, about about, uh, about headlines. So saying the fact that everyone knows about the story and there was an, an uproar about it, that's precisely indicative of the fact of that this is extremely rare and this is the outlier, and therefore we shouldn't necessarily lose our faith. confidence and faith in in the in the kosher system because this is actually a system working as intended. They're, they, it's it's rock solid, it's airtight, and the guy who does cheat, well, we catch him eventually. eventually right. Yeah, and 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 that that really to your point, we hope we hope right. But you know, here's the thing: is that in every democratic society and non-democratic society, we have laws. That's 
we're creating the procedures, right? That's the protocols. Then we have policing, right? That's the level of the kosher supervisor, right? But there's also a third component. Every single civilized and non-civilized country has a jail system and a judicial system. Who needs a jail system? You make the laws and you have good police. The answer is that we have, I don't know how many people are in jail now, but many, many, many people are in jail around the world for committing crimes, some very, very serious crimes. But some of them are going to be on death row for crimes they committed. And how did that happen? Because you could have laws and you could have systems. And sometimes those systems, and there are people that are committing fraud and, and things like that at the highest level, right? The idea of having a spy in a high level of government unfortunately, is not unusual. It happens in every country. So I think it's important for us to understand that every system has people that are looking to buck the system. To exploit it, to find the vulnerabilities. Exactly. But I have some ideas of how we can make the system better. And we're all ears. Like, let's say, in order to qualify for um, for kosher certification, you need to be, like, bonded. So... In the event that there was a cautious violation, not only you close your store, what is this guy? He lost his store. Okay, but he made tons of money along the way, right? It's by exploiting the kosher consumer, you have to put up, I don't know, a half a million dollars. In the event there's a cautious violation, that money gets gets taken away. Something like that. So I, I think, first of all, I think that idea is fantastic. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, or maybe you could monitor his credit card. His credit card and all the credit cards to know exactly what he's purchasing, to see all the so purchases. I'll tell you, uh, what, what I found, so first of all, let's go one at a time. So I think your idea of being bonded, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a fantastic idea. And it would raise the prices because uh, that's fine. I think the consumer, the kosher consumer, is willing to pay whatever it costs. So, so let, sure let, let's, let's, okay, let's, let's break, break this down, down okay. by its parts. Let's break this down, on, you know, based on its parts. So your point of being bonded, I think it's a fantastic idea. Okay. Um, and sometimes having an objective outsider, who's not intimately involved in, in, in a situation very often is very insightful. I think the biggest challenge is that most food service proprietors and owners simply don't have the capacity to do that. Meaning a lot of them have very, very, you know, food service is not for the faint of heart. Okay. When I say food service, I mean restaurants and those kind of establishments. It's a hard way to make a living. Okay. And the margins are small. And I think there was a study. Most restaurants fail, right? Most restaurants fail. And I think there was a study. I remember I was reading this during COVID that the extreme majority of food service establishments could only survive a maximum of three weeks without um, revenue. Meaning they would literally need to close. They're on a knife's edge. They're on a knife's edge. They're they're teetering on the... Brink of always bankruptcy, teetering. always teetering, and insolvency at all times. Always teetering. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. The vast majority of restaurants are teetering. I think around the world now there are again there are successful ones. I'm not saying, but even the successful ones have their ups and downs because you're only in vogue for that amount of time, and the amount of money it gets it costs to get up and running and to get started and everything and pay all tremendous amount of labor. So having to put up an extra X amount of money is something which is. It's a fascinating idea, and I'm not I'm not dismissing that. Has at all. it been proposed? No. <laughs> there no. we go. Okay. No. I'm actually. I think I'm. I'm going to. No, we're like gonna, he should have some this, skin in the game. Rabbi Wolby initiative. Uh, I don't need credit. No, it no. We're going like, to tell all the restaurant owners that you need to be bonded because Rabbi Wolby said. No, I just I think someone should have skin in the game. You totally. know, if you if you if so you, I think if you skin violate in the, game. the American law, the statutes, statutes, you're going to go to prison. Right. What happens if you violate the kosher law? You have to close your restaurant. Okay. 
Right. But where, where are the consequences? Right. I know that – I don't want to bring up some sore topics here, but like when that big scandal that happened in Muncie, which is – I don't know one, if people are familiar with that. You want to just give a I, – I, This is what I know. This happened like yeah. maybe 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Uh, one of the big distributors of, of meat and chicken in the city that I grew up in, Muncie, New York, uh, it was discovered – I don't know the details – was discovered that uh, he was actually – Passing off uh, some non-kosher chicken, I think it was chicken, and presenting it as kosher in, in a in a massive scale. At a massive it was level. a it was, it was a huge scandal, and I think we talked about this last time. The the, the Talmud says that when you eat non-kosher, it kind of deadens you a little bit. Right. So I feel like I would have been a lot sharper <laughs> if I had been born someplace else. I think you do it okay. <laughs> you think so? Okay. <laughs> you know, or, you know, maybe been a vegetarian, uh, but that was a, a huge scandal, and that person was. He was not like this um, Chinese restaurant tour. He was involved in the community, and right. he he gave the Dafyomi lecture, and that was like a and whole his kids were in the best yeshivas in the, in the in the world. Allegedly, I would say discussion which one's the best yeshiva <laughs> in the world. In the yeshiva that's widely touted as you know the best yeshiva in the world, his son was in Brist. We'll keep that in the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it just totally. It, it, you know, so he had a lot to lose because he, he lost he his family ostracized, and ostracized. And I don't, I don't know what happened to him. I don't even. But know. he's a total persona non grata. He's a total, totally. You know, but if someone's a non-Jewish restaurateur has got a bunch of restaurants and he sees a way he can make some money, there's no. What's he risking? He, you know, I, I'm actually gonna. I'm actually going to present this possibility, this suggestion. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea, and I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna recommend it. Well, I'll bring. I'm gonna bring it up for conversation with with other agencies. To try to hear. No, or, or, but they could they could buy like an, in insurance or something like that, like a, right. they, like so a I, bail I, bond. My understanding you know? is with with bonds when 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 their places are bonded, I don't think they they need to actually put up the money. No, they they probably pay a monthly fee to right. have like a conscious insurance. I conscious love insurance. I love it. I love there it. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I really I really think it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. So I think it's fantastic. And, and then in the event that there's a violation. The, the insurance has to pay it out and the insurance tries to get the money back from the guy or they hound him, whatever it is. But that, that creates another layer of oversight. He could lose his house. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? If you're honest, it costs you a small little premium every month, you know, but if you're not honest and someone catches you in a way that's verifiable. That's it. I mean, we have cameras, so like most of it is verifiable. So that's fantastic. I love that idea. Um, so I think it, I'm it, all in. It, it, maybe it's a layer of security that won't really raise the prices so much. Correct. Correct. Now, and, 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 but I do, yeah, I do want to say, have a camera to following point. every piece of chicken, you know, with the barcode and going all the way to the plate, you know, all the way from the cow to the plate, yeah. but that's very expensive. Correct. Right. Exactly. So I think it is important to keep in mind, and, and this goes back to there are, you can have, you have CEOs that are embezzling billions of dollars, millions of dollars, when they know plenty of people that are in jail doing the same thing. So I think it's important. I do think it's important for us to keep in mind that there, have always been charlatans and there will always be charlatans. And, and this is important, underlined. I don't know how you underline on a podcast, but it's you important. <laughs> it's important to keep in mind. Bring the table. That, you know, with, with these, while it's obviously not something which is happening on a regular basis at all, but it's not necessarily indicative that there was a fundamental failure at either the agency or the Mashkiach level. It may be. It might be, and it takes yeah. investigation, but not necessarily. Right. So you're saying that there's just the reality is that there's going to be uh, there's going to be some exposure, just like the TSA making you taking it off your shoes and all that. Can't guarantee that this one guy, you know, this guy who tried to light his shoes on fire. But you know, I always feel 
maybe I should expunge this from the podcast. I don't want the FBI checking up on me. But I always feel like if I was a terrorist, you can figure I it could out. find a way. Right? <laughs> I could find a way. Well, that always, that's the thing. You're always one step behind. Somebody brought on fighting yesterday's uh, yesterday's battle. Yeah. All right. All right. So, but I think it it is important to keep in mind. Number one, that you know there is this theory. There's this theory. Sorry, sorry for cutting you off. There's this theory that uh, the amount of human lives, human hours that are lost by people taking off their shoes <laughs> for TSA, we would have had fewer human years lost had the guy actually blown <laughs> the plane. Okay, that's a joke. It's a terrible thing to say. I apologize for that. Expunge that for the record. But anyhow, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> totally. So I think that, that this is really the underlying purpose. When a, when a crisis like this happens – Right. Let's say somebody walks off with, you know, WikiLeaks, right? Somebody walks off with with documents and so on. What happens? Two things happen. Internally, there's a review. We have to figure out how to close that hole. But let me ask you a question. If you were to go over to, you know, I have a friend of mine, friend of ours who works cybersecurity in Amazon. If you go over to him and ask him, what's, is it possible that Amazon will be hacked? And every single individual that ever ordered from Amazon, all his personal information and his credit cards will be exposed. Is that possible? Of course it's possible. I I would like to think it's not likely because I I, I buy from Amazon, right? But is it possible? For sure. And they have probably the best cybersecurity team out there, right? I think it's called called zero day, if I'm not mistaken, like a zero day hack, which means that it's like a brand new hack, that it's a vulnerability or a bug in the system. And you could sell it like on the black market or oh, on, the, yeah. on the dark web. You could sell that because that means it's an, it's an exploit that the company doesn't know about it. Because the whole it, day yeah. they're patching up, you know, like whack-a-mole, no, playing whack-a-mole with the holes. Like those games in the arcades. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the whole, they're playing whack-a-mole, but, but if it's a zero day, which means that no one knows about it, they're saying, you know, worth that yeah, they sell it for millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. So to, obviously to criminals. Right. Right. Or to the company themselves probably. Right. Um, so I do think that it's important for us to realize that every – single system period from the highest level of government the highest level of security at any level can be exploited has been exploited and will be exploited and when that happens the agency or in question needs to do an internal a serious internal audit and review but even when they're finished was preventable correct and fix that flaw and try to fix other flaws that they may find throughout the audit but also to understand that people need to understand that you can't possibly prevent it conclusively from ever happening again. It's impossible. That's why we have a jail system. Yes. And yes. that's why we have a death row. Right. But we still have to be as vigilant as possible and figure out and what And we are- also have to realize that it's highly unusual. And the fact that there are stories, we need to put into context. Yes. Right? How many, you know, I'll give you an example. Plane crashes, Right. It's a lot more likely for people to get killed in a car crash than a plane crash. But everyone knows about plane crashes because it's when it it's happens. It's more sensational. Right. So people feel somehow – people. it's more likely that people have a fear of going on a plane than having a fear of going in a car because it's much more sensationalized, right? So you are you see something like that. It's like, oh my gosh, that's a crazy story. But it's really, really unusual, right? That's why we all fly on planes. Yes. But I, but we could add this uh, insurance thing and uh, so I think I that think should that happen. That, that, That's a great that idea. I think it's a great what idea. What about – if I would do is I would monitor the guy's social security. So I'd take his credit report every month, find out where he's spending his money, 
So he, he would have to get a different credit card. I want to make it, I want to make as much friction as possible for the proprietor, whom I'm assuming is incentivized to, uh, to try to cheat. So I will say, and I think it's important to keep in mind, most proprietors, the vast majority of proprietors really want to do the right thing. They really do. And, and, and when I, when I meet with proprietors, irrespective of their religious affiliation, whether they're Jewish or not, whether they're religious or not, the vast majority of proprietors really want to do the right thing. They really, really do. Is there friction sometimes because you're making their life more difficult? Yeah. But ultimately, they really, most people 100%. want to do the right thing. They really but, do. But, but that's not the discussion, right? Exactly. We're, we're dealing with, exactly. if there's, let's say, 3% that want to do shtick because they can make more money, Correct. we want to get that number down as low as possible as low as to possible. try to make it. Yeah. So, and everyone else has to suffer, which we always have to suffer, you know? All right. That's why we take off our shoes, right? Yes. Right. Unless you have TSA pre-check. That's right. Or clear. I encourage all podcast listeners. <laughs> Get your TSA pre-check and get global and you entry. Can sign up with the following link. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, get your fingerprints. It's okay. Um, let's talk about what happened in in in, uh, in this restaurant. Manalba. Where where do you think? So we talked about like kind of the the general landscape of of what the cashless agencies and the systems are in place, and where the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses are. Where. Where do you say the weaknesses were? Are you going to say that the weaknesses were in the agency, in the systems, in the individual, the proprietor? Maybe they. So uh, I believe in this case, we actually had a call. Um, there's an ACO executive committee. So I'm part of that committee. We had a call with the certifying agency for this restaurant. Which is one of the biggest ones in the whole country, right? Correct. Biggest and a Correct. superb and, reputation. And the reason why, honestly, the reason why I didn't even mention their name is because I don't think is anything unique about them. Okay. Because I think that this is something that could happen to any agency. And any agency that believes that it can't happen to them, they're the most vulnerable. Right? Okay. Those are the teams that don't have cybersecurity. Yes. Right? You need to have cybersecurity because it could happen to you. Right? Okay. Um, so this agency, my understanding is really they had good systems. And they had a good system in place. Now, this person was not bringing in things, you know, at a... At a Big scale. He was literally slipping in chickens under his shirt. Are you serious? Yes. Okay. To save a few bucks. Whoa, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. You told me that there are locks on the freezer. There were locks in the freezer in this in this restaurant? I don't I don't know. I assume so, but I don't know. There are are cameras. We're assuming there were cameras there as well. So there's cameras, there's there's locks, there's there's much DF media. Correct present at all times he's going to the restaurant depot he's buying chicken he stuffed them under his shirt we're talking about not boxes of chicken we're talking about single chickens wowza <laughs> okay now if a person now, thinks it, it, you have to understand if you have a at a restaurant we don't know we don't know exactly but wait what wasn't he wasn't he videotaped buying boxes yeah, we, boxes, we, we have house. no record that that actually made it to the restaurant okay okay, okay. so yeah we don't know i mean it, actually it was it turned out great that that, that video came up. So that tip that tipped off began the investigation. And, and then, right. now I think it's important to keep in mind that let's walk through a mashgiach in a restaurant. Okay, imagine working it as a mashgiach in a restaurant. Okay, mashgiach goes to the bathroom eleven o'clock for seven minutes. You have a proprietor outside. He has a pickup truck parked by the back door with bags of chicken. How long does it take to bring the chicken in, take the bags out, mix the chicken in with the non-kosher, with the kosher chicken? It's not a big deal. Every mashkiach has to go to the bathroom, right? Every mashkiach has to 
wash vegetables. Every, there are things, there are mashkiach responsibilities and duties. And ultimately, I think that the, the fact is that there is a fear factor because they do understand that if they get caught, they're out of business immediately. But like I mentioned earlier, like in, in a place like this, you could have a great system, but if somebody is motivated to beat your system, they will be able to beat it. Wait, and now, there was, going there back was to no, your there point was no before, video. if he would have been bonded, yeah, right? So his other two restaurants would be out of business as well. Yes. But were there no videos on that entrance catching him, bringing him from the pickup so truck? I, I can only I only can say publicly whatever's in that statement. So, okay. um, any other information that I, that I was, was shared with us, You're I wouldn't be You're privy to non-public information. This is just me and you and the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> so my understanding based on the call and based on everything that we've heard was that this organization did everything properly, good systems in place and, and the systems were beaten. Mm-hmm. Now, and, again, and, this and, agency, and this guy- I will say this agency specifically, um, they are a rock solid organization. And after this incident, they are doubling down on everything, just like all of us are, but them even more so. But I, again, we need to understand, like I mentioned earlier, there are charlatans who will always We shouldn't lose our confidence. We shouldn't lose our confidence, but we need to understand. I'll give you, I'll give you an interesting. Uh, if you think about it, if he's slipping in individual chickens, like how much money you know, is he making, right? Cause, cause if you, if you're buying a lot, then I get it. Cause it's, you know, three times the price to buy kosher versus right. non-kosher chicken. But if you're sli- slipping in individual chickens, you're, you're making a couple of bucks. You're saving a couple of bucks. Literally a couple yes. of bucks. Literally. If that much. And you're risking your entire restaurant. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Now, now I, I want to throw, I know you had something else you want to add, but I want to throw in another point because, um, we talked about the integrity of the owners and you've shared that you found across the board, Almost universally, people, they want to do what's right. They want to follow the rules. They don't want to play in shtick. They want to have a kosher restaurant. They, you know, that's what they've chosen to do and they want to follow the rules and, uh, and toe the line. But I will note, if we compare the Muncie scandal with the Manalapan scandal, if you're part of a community, some of us will see part of the Jewish community. They're integrated. Their kids are in the yeshiva, right? They get there. They're in the shul. They, they, they have a lot more to lose oh, for socially. Sure. For sure. If they do any shtick. Sure. For sure. This guy, he's not, he's not Jewish, right? So he's not part he of the community. On, he moves on, on. exactly. He just says he other restaurants. And he has, he has, right. Yeah. And he, you know, he, we're upset at him, but the government's not going to go after him, right? Correct. Correct. It's not a violation of, of any law and statute. And even if it is, I mean, it's not significant enough that would be a deterrent. Right. So, so even though, you can provide certification for someone who's not as intermeshed in the community. It's important to note, just for the record, that they, it, it, it's actually, they could be more trustworthy just based upon the fact they have more to lose than more skin in the game. Correct. Correct. Because again, if someone does this, and if someone does not, uh, uh, let's say if someone grew up not eating kosher or something like that, not part of the community, like this is the worst offense that someone could possibly do. Correct. It's like the worst thing you could do to the community is you're telling them it's kosher and they're relying on you and you're doing shtick to make a couple of dollars at the spiritual uh, expense of everyone else. It's like the worst thing. Like you are you are totally gone forever. It's, it's just the worst offense that someone could possibly totally do. Totally ostracized. Yes. Ostracize you and your kids and your family and that's it. There's a, the, Even though it's not necessarily their fault, but it would, not it would be the natural. Kids, but that's what happens. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's it's like this is Bernie Madoff level uh, uh, exactly. And let me ask you a question. Just go, Bernie Madoff is a great example. Can a Bernie Madoff scheme happen again? I think it could. 
Is it more difficult? Yeah. It's more difficult because there's definitely, you know, I, I don't know the details of the scheme or, or what they put into place afterwards, but I'm sure there were laws or things that were put into place to make it more difficult as far as reporting, financial reporting. I'm sure there were things that were put into place, but we need to understand, can it happen again? And of course it could happen but, again. But I want to reemphasize my point. If you have a Jewish proprietor involved in the community, there is another layer of security. Of security. For sure. Just, just based upon our conversation. For sure. Yes. For sure. Because they, again, they're more to lose. No question. I don't think you'll find a proprietor who's enmeshed with the community slipping in little individual chicken cutlets under their shirt. Like maybe they they always say, they they always have the line. I heard this, I think, from uh, Robert Barrel Wine. He's like, if you're going to steal money, steal a hundred million (laughs) dollars. You know, don't go to jail for a hundred bucks, right? You know, if you're gonna borrow money, borrow a hundred million dollars. You know, they won't foreclose on you. They'll come talk to you nicely, gently. You know, if someone's gonna do that, God forbid, right? They're not gonna do it for something as trivial as I this. I do believe. I do yes. believe that 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 is correct. I do. That. I, I think that there's definitely a higher level of security when someone's mentioned in the community, um, and also they have more of an appreciation because they're keeping kosher in their own private lives. And and they that's understand. Much, they that's understand what they this means. It. Yes. Right. They appreciate it. And they would never and, give their kids that food. Correct. Never. Correct. Correct. And I think. Going back to what we said, you know, the question is, let's say we establish that there will always be a very minute percentage of charlatans that will beat the system, which means I'm confident, unfortunately, it shouldn't happen, that it will happen again, right? It will happen again to some agency. Now, so the question is, if that's the case, how can I ever eat out anywhere? Or forget about that. Forget about eating out. How could I buy a canned peas, right? That's also on the kosher certification. How could I buy anything? Right? Unless I'm having just tomatoes, cucumbers, and pick, you know, no pickles that's produced, right? But that could be also from Israel. You have, sh- you have Shemitah problems. <laughs> very good, very good. That's good. <laughs> You're fed intravenously. So I think it's important to keep in mind that there will always be a very, very minute percentage. But I would make two points. Number one is if we need a bottle of milk and we have a grocery store across the street, we're risking our lives to cross the street to go get a bottle of milk. If you're home, the likelihood of getting hit by a car is quite low. Cross the street, people get hit every day. So you're going to risk your life to go get a bottle of milk? Come on. You have a little almond milk left in the fridge? Just use that. The answer is, and I want, we'll get to another point as well, the answer to this question is we need to live our lives. We need to do the best we can. In our physical lives and our spiritual lives, we need to do the best we can, take the best precautions we can, put a seatbelt on, wear a helmet, do whatever is recommended, and then at the same time, understand that there's an inherent risk in getting in your car or, or walking on the street. And that's, that's, that's just life. That's just, we need to understand that. That's number one. Number two is from a halachic perspective. So when an animal is slaughtered, we need to check the animal to make for certain sicknesses, as you're well aware. So the number of after we after we slaughter it in a proper fashion, even if we slaughter it properly, you have to examine the animal to see if it was if it was healthy or it was a tray fuck. Because if it's a tray fuck, it's got ripped lungs, it's got cancer all over it. You give it to the non torture pile. Right. I, I always say that to people like, "What? Wait, what? If I'm if you know if there's cancer in it." It goes to the non well, Yes, that's what happens because it's up to the standards of the FDA or the uh-huh. whatever other agencies, but it's not up to the kosher standards. I think last time you said like only like 30%. Something like that. Yeah, 30% of, of animals slaughtered in the kosher slaughterhouse are actually, actually accepted. 
make make it through the autopsy, so to speak, to see that it's, you know. That's exactly yes. right. Okay. So we typically, the Talmud tells us that there are 18 trephas, right? Yudches trephas. There are 18 different types of ailments, sicknesses that could potentially invalidate an animal. Nowadays, we only check typically for one primary one, which is the lungs, right? Now, you know, there may be other ones, you know, with it's a different animals, whatever. But for the most part, from a bird's eye view, we check for one, typically for one of them. Why don't we check for the other ones? What happened to all those? The answer is that we rely on a majority. The majority of animals do not have this ailment. And I think that's important because a lot of halacha, a lot of Jewish law, is dependent on the concept of rave. And rave means majority, that we, we have a right to do the... Again, it doesn't absolve us of working the absolute hardest we can and putting the best systems in place. We have to put on our seatbelt, but we can drive. And we, ha- we have to set up systems in the kosher world, and we have to always upgrade the systems. But we also need to understand that there is going to be a small margin of error, small margin of possibility of fraud, and it's impossible to prevent, but that's okay. Like there's- It's impossible to prevent, but again, I'm fighting for the consumer here. It's impossible to prevent, but is it impossible to minimize? It's always, and I will say, the standards in the kosher world universally around the world today versus 10 years ago, and 10 years ago versus 20 years ago, and so on, has been exponentially upgraded. We're constantly, constantly, and again, I'm only using us as an example. Every agency is the same way. We're constantly, like this high-definition cameras, we didn't always require that, but we started requiring that, right? I don't know if 15 years ago, having a mashkiyat to me do was standard. Locking kitchens was standard. Now it is standard. Um, and there's a variety of things, tracking invoicing on meat and different things and all kinds of policies and procedures and so on. So we're, the responsibility of the organization is to constantly be auditing and checking the systems, upgrading the systems, and making sure that we fix every flaw and, and anticipate every possible fraud that we can with limitation. Understanding, like you said, we can minimize, 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 and hopefully we'll get the percentage to be minimal and almost insignificantly minimal, but there will be a percentage. You just gave me another idea, by the way. I'm all in. If you take the invoices from the kosher meat and you match it against the actual output of the restaurant, you look at, let's say, you know, they, they, they sell a burger and the burger has on average, you measure, let's say, 10 different patties a burger. It has, you know, I don't know, a, a half pound, a pound or a pound. Or a pound. And then you could reconcile the output of the restaurant with the, the incoming input of the meat. So this is something that's been brought up. That that's so you get you get credit for originality on the first one. Okay, not this but the one. Second okay. one, second one only half credit. The um, but it's good because you thought of it by yourself, so you get full credit on that as well. But the with regards to that one, I'll tell you, it's in theory, it's fantastic. It's in a lot practice, of work. it's almost it's almost impossible unless you really have a team of mashgichim at every restaurant because there is it's such so many moving parts. It's, you're talking about, you know, somebody's ordering a chicken breast and they're putting some, some of the pastrami going into the burger and this guy wants it without the burger and this guy wants chicken on top of his salad. He doesn't want chicken on his salad. Right, but you could definitely find, um, you could ballpark it, right? Yeah. You know, if, yeah. it should be within 10% of what you expect. You know, if it's 50% of what you expect, right, then you right, know something wrong. Right, right, right. right. And, 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 and maybe this could be part of, let's say, a general audit, you know, tell ACO, 
that part of what they do is that they're going to audit restaurants, you know, periodically. Just pick restaurants in every city. Every, so my, you know? my, my dream, I mean, not for me to do it. I would, I don't think I would touch this with a 10 foot pole, but for somebody to open up an independent organization that's not affiliated with any specific community or any organization or any affiliation whatsoever and to have places that can voluntarily sign up to be audited at any time by this agency. Meaning it would be another level of where essentially in a certain sense, they're auditing not only the restaurant, but they're ordering, auditing the agency. cautious agency. I would love that. I would love that. Again, like I said, it's, I'm not touching it, but it's, it's something that I think it would be fantastic. Cause like Cause imagine the, the agencies, thing. agencies don't want to be scrutinized. No one wants to be no scrutinized. One wants to be scrutinized. I'll tell you a secret. Proprietors also don't want to be scrutinized. Nobody wants to no scrutinize. Wants, no, no one wants, wants the IRS don't give me coming eyes. after you. Yeah. No one wants the, the, the KRS, you know, exactly. kosher revenue service. Kosher revenue service. I think I would call it kosher certification service maybe. But um, I think – I do think though but if, that if, it, if, it, if it benefits the whole Jewish people, you do it. Everyone benefits. Everyone benefits so, to, the, the to way, raise I the standard. I think the way to get such a thing off the ground is voluntary – participation the issue with these kind of initiatives is that people volunteer but ultimately it creates a pressure and it forces people to participate and you know so it again that's not a problem but i mean you know so again i'm not doing this but but it's you know whoever to be in such a position you know you're gonna you're gonna be um it's 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 not easy it's an uphill battle oh yeah it's very difficult but you know the idea is ultimately we all work better with accountability, period. Yes. Period. No matter what level you are, doesn't matter if you're stocking shelves, if you're a CEO, it, whatever level you are. They say sunlight's the best disinfectant. There's sunlight on something. Everyone could see it. It removes those infections. So, l- you l- have l- an eternal book of all these good lines. It's like really good lines. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they go wrong? You're saying in in, in I think in, that the system was cheated. And you don't, you're not blaming that they chose a so. poor proprietor. You don't think so? Oh, you mean yes? In that Chinese in, in restaurant. In hindsight, as a Monday morning quarterback, yes, yes, it was a bad proprietor. Um, is that something we could have anticipated? I don't know. How do you know not, the moral character? Well, of a listen, I, I could say simply that if someone themselves is not kosher, so there is an initiative. You know, there is, there is, there is a, there are some agencies that do require for in order to certify a restaurant or to you know something like that they require that the owner also keep the same standards that they're certifying meaning it's not a question are you jewish are you not are you are you religious are you not it's a very simple thing if we're going to be cert- it's it's imagine i'm coming i tell you listen you know we're starting rabbi wolby organic produce right but you don't care one iota about our organic let's say right so i would be like hey, listen rabbi wolby the only way I could certify your company is if start you yourself start being careful to only eat organic. Grass-fed. Grass-fed, whatever it takes. Cage-free. Yeah. All, all, the, all the catchwords. And that, that those things, what that does is there are, there are agencies that will say, listen, we're only going to certify you if you in your own personal life are keeping these rigorous standards at home. So that way you have an appreciation and you would never want to cheat the system. Again, it's possible to even – Withstanding that, notwithstanding that, you could still cheat the system, but it makes it much more difficult. 
So there is, there is, there is such there a possibility. There is a movement for that. So I don't know a movement. I would say there's, there are agencies that have that standard. Why would someone who's not Jewish, who doesn't keep kosher, why would they want to open up a kosher restaurant? Like, what, what, like, to me, that raises some red flags. Like, you could cater to 99.9% of the country or to the most difficult customers on the planet <laughs> who love to leave glowing Yelp reviews, if you know what I mean. Who, uh, you know, we have a penchant, we have a reputation, what can I say, that we're hard, hard customers to please, right? It's true. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't say that. It's not a nice thing to say. But the point is, is that you're limiting yourself to a very small segment of the population. So does that raise some red flags? I don't think inherently. Um, I think, I don't think inherently it raises red flags because the bottom line is people that are doing it is because they believe for some reason that it's going to, they're going to make more money. That's really what it boils down to. Some reason they believe that this is, you know, I'll give you an example. Someone's living, let's say, in a very Jewish area, right? So he's like, if I open up a Chinese restaurant, you know, I'm losing most of the demographic here. So I, you know, I want to hit the most, most, the strongest common denominator. Open up a non-kosher Jewish restaurant. You saying? Meaning, if a non-kosher Chinese restaurant, right? So I I think that there is. It doesn't. It's not necessarily a red flag at all. but you know, so you say, and you're saying that some kosher agencies are updating their systems, and they're not going to offer um, certification to such a proprietor, given that the risks there's heightened risks. There's heightened risk when someone like that, just because again, not to judge anyone's character or, or you know, or their righteousness or whatever, but someone who has an appreciation for this is it's a kind of a proprietor that you feel more comfortable, you know, putting your stamp of approval, your reputation on the line. And, and the rule and, of thumb, what's the, the rule of thumb is, would I eat in this person's house? Because the restaurant is essentially an extension of their home. You know, I, I, I visit a lot of kitchens, commercial kitchens, right? If I walk into a commercial kitchen, I have a pretty good idea of what the person's personal kitchen looks like from a cleanliness perspective, right? Because the kitchen of a proprietor is there is an extension of their home. So if I go, if I have a proprietor and I know that in their personal home they keep a very high standard of kosher, I can be reasonably comfortable assuming that in their commercial environment as a proprietor they would keep that same standard. And like you mentioned, that's why there are some agencies, and I think that's a it's a wonderful standard. I think it's a hard standard to maintain in an added town community because you have. Um, out, of, out of town to find that term for someone doesn't know what that means. Okay, so I so from a New town. Yorker um, when, when I grew up in New York years and years ago, guilty as charged as well here. Okay, right. So um, so for New Yorkers, anyone who doesn't live in New York is known as an out of towner. What should I say? They um, have those uh, pictures where they ask New Yorkers to make a to make a representative map of the country, <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, the five boroughs dominate, you know, the whole eastern uh, half of like the country. In the, in the, you know, and the rest maybe of Chicago the United States. and, and yeah, California. Exactly. And that's it. So a New Yorker, it's funny. I'm living I'm living here for a number of years. In, in Texas now for a number of years, but somehow I still think of myself little, as out of town, right? Yeah. I'm a, so in, in a, well, I would say smaller Jewish communities, it's a little bit harder or much harder because just the options are, are simply from a, so, so the HK, the we Houston, don't have this requirement that you lead, you don't have this, you don't have, we this, don't requirement. have this requirement. Well, um, well, what do you have? Do you have any restrictions on who can be, a proprietor of a kosher restaurant? Well, I guess, you know, if he was known to us as being a charlatan, I think we'd be hesitant. Um, but maybe going forward, we're going to require them to be bonded. I don't know. That's something we have to explore. But we we don't really have a good way of 
inspecting someone's moral character. But you speak to them, I'm sure, right? But we speak to them. Has there been anyone that you rejected because you say, oh, this guy's kind of giving me the giving me an uncomfortable feeling. It seems like it's... Um, actually, there there was an incident where a place that we were sort of certifying for a very short period of time, not a restaurant per se, but a production of some type of food, um, where at some point we said, you know, again, like we, we just, I don't know, we just don't trust them. Like it was clear that, that there was a serious trust issue there. So, but it's, it's very, very hard to know that in advance. Really Of course, hard. you can't be blamed for what you can right. know. But but like in that scenario, we were certifying him for a very short time. I was, I was actually hesitant to even begin certifying them. It was a small production of a certain kind of a food product. And, and then at some point I said, no way. Like, and, and I will say that we, we have, we insert a clause into all of our contracts that we have the, we're a service provider and we have the right to terminate our service provision at any point in time without providing any reason, without any, we don't have to provide probable cause. We don't have to prove that there was a term, that there was a violation. If, and what that does is it gives us an exit. So if we feel that there's a certain situation where there's a lot of red flags, but we can't nail anything for some reason, the guy's sophisticated. So we have the right to go over to them and say, listen, um, we don't feel comfortable certifying you. We're not going to make a debacle out of this. And we're not going to make this into, you know, a grand statement. But we're just letting you know that as of next week, we're not going to be certifying you. So, and you're going to send an email to the so, community, right? So, so you, we can work with you to how you want to write the email or whatever, you know, things like that. Um, so again, thank God we never had to use that. But the idea of having that clause means that we don't have to prove conclusively that there's a violation. Our primary responsibility is to the consumer, not to the proprietor. We we have a responsibility. To the yes, technically speaking, the service that we're providing is their proprietor, and they're paying us a minimal amount. But again, our primary accountability is to the consumer. And if we feel that there are red flags, we need to be able to exit. You know, when these stories happen, as unfortunate as they are, a little tiny silver lining, if you can say that, is that it really puts proprietors. It puts, like you said, like sunlight. It's, it's a reminder to all proprietors around the world, play by the rules. Because yes. if somebody violates, like we're not, there's no like second chance. Like if you're going to, you make a mistake, everyone makes a mistake. We all make mistakes, right? You're driving too fast by mistake. You get pulled over. Okay, right? But we all make mistakes and, and we'll never pull a certification, generally speaking, you know, for, for a legitimate mistake. We'll work to fix the problem. Like and, what, what would be an example of a legitimate mistake? I mean, let's say by mistake, something was, you know, by mistake, the, 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 they brought uh, the mashkiach accepted something that wasn't appropriate or that wasn't really approved. He made, let's say mashkiach made a mistake or let's say a proprietor, you know, cooked something in the way that would make it not kosher or mixed two ingredients that would be not kosher or, or any kind of, you know, legitimate. Or- yeah, or something which happens you know it, it, it something As like, to that. like an egregious violation As opposed of, to a knowing yeah. violation right yeah. and 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 we, we really differentiate down the line between something which is something that is like a premeditated or even not pre necessarily premeditated but something that was done knowingly versus a mistake that's really the fundamental difference and when these stories happen it's a reminder and it's important unfortunately for them to realize that we need to play by the rules because if we're not going to play by the rules, you can lose your certification immediately and 
you won't get it back. Your your restaurant, if you're trying to service a kosher clientele, your restaurant is closed. No other certifying agency is going to pick it up. And that's it. You just closed your source of income and livelihood. So, yeah, so it's a good thing every once in a while that people <laughs> I wouldn't say a good thing, but it's like a, a little tiny bit of a silver lining for agencies to – not for agencies, for proprietors to realize that mm-hmm. they're, pl- they're playing with fire, so to speak. If, mm-hmm. you know, but again, most proprietors are honest. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. The agency that was involved or that was overseeing this restaurant in New in Jersey, Manalva, yeah. are they changing their standards of who they're going to accept as proprietors? Are they talking about that? I don't know conclusively, but I'm sure they're discussing. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a lot of internal conversation, but they've, they've really dealt with it in a really responsible way. So I, 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 I think all the other agencies have been very impressed with the way they've systematically, the way they released their statement and the way they dealt with the investigation and the way they're looking at an internal audit. There's, there's, everyone makes mistakes. And I'm sure there are things that they can do better. And I'm sure things that we can do better. But it's, it's really a question of what happens when, when it hits the fan, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's really that separates the men and the boys, right? In, in a, in any kind of company. But that, that's really the, the, in any company, every company, the CEO is going to make a mistake. They're going to, they're going to, they're, they're not going to meet their profits for the quarter or whatever. Things happen and crisis happens. PR crisis happen. And the, what, what makes somebody great and so what makes someone a great leader or a great company is how they deal with it. Mm-hmm. What, what happens? Do they deny it? Do they make leave it never happen? Or are they transparent? And they say, listen, we made a mistake or we didn't make a mistake or we're going to investigate. Here's what we're wrong and we'll try to fix it next time. Exactly. That was an incredible discussion. I learned a lot about the Kashra system, how it works. We came up with a great idea to improve it. Uh, anything else you want to add to this before we get to your plug? So I want to plug your Mashtiach course and your Kosher Institute of America course and your book that you wrote. Anything else you want to add? No, I think I think the whole podcast was worth it for your idea about bonding. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing like bonding through a podcast. Yes. Okay. Um Okay, so um, just quickly, um, like we talked about a couple of years ago when we had you on the podcast, Kosher Institute of America, is that the website? Kosher, how, what's the website? Kosherinstitute.com. Kosherinstitute.com. If someone wants to get trained personally of how to keep kosher, you could you could follow the course and you will be certified absent that glossy card. You don't get the card, right? But you'll be certified. You'll know how to keep kosher. If someone wants to keep kosher, they don't know anything about it. It seems overwhelming, which it is. It seems foreign, which it is. This is uh, that course is, is still around. Is there any benefit of someone who doesn't want to be a mashtiach to learn the mashtiach course? Is that uh, so? It is, is that open. An option? So there's there's actually there's about thirty five courses on the website. Um, so it could be a little overwhelming when you look at it, but it's sort of divided into different types and so on. But the each agency actually has their own version of the mashtiach course, so it sort of incorporates their own little differences and policies and protocols and so on but the then there's a home kitchen one but the mashkiach course anyone who wants could take the general edition mashkiach course which won't give the person a photo id they won't be listed in the national database and so on but essentially they'll get pretty much all the same knowledge and sometimes it's it's just i think if i was learning the laws of kosher even if i was never going to enter the world of kashras you know certifying kosher companies and restaurants it's interesting. It's nice to know, know what happens. It's just to know what happens. Yeah, how stuff works. How it works exactly. How the sausage is made. How the sausage is overseen. Right. And uh, what about your book? Tell us to plug your book. Um, your safer. So, the safer is called Hatzas Hashulchan. It's on Hilchas Teruvis. 
Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's a Hebrew to, book. So on, it's a Hebrew on book. On the laws of forbidden mixtures. What does that mean, forbidden mixtures? So mixtures of kosher and non-kosher foods. It's a... Um, it's at a, it's really meant primarily for people that are scholars that are spending a tremendous amount of time and research into these topics. And, um, and this is volume one of? Volume one of, of two volumes. Two volumes, please, God. Please, God. How and, far uh, along are we in the second volume? Uh, 10%. 10%, so. okay. <laughs> but you know what you need to do. So, uh, and people could buy that uh, in... Online in or in Hatsas any... Hatsas HaShulchan. That's a good question. Um, so the idea of, of the Sefer has been to present all the opinions um, and sort of lay out the opinions and the different commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, which is the primary book. Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. Code of Jewish okay. Law. And um, with a lot of commentary and background and so in the Shulchan Aruch, there's a section called Hilchas Taruvos, which right. means the laws of mixtures, your kosher food, non kosher food. The idea of a mixture and and kind of the How the complex um, halachic details of that. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of going through this subject and laying out all the opinions on every given subject with commentary and explanation and background. Right. Really, it's primarily meant for a for scholars that are really. Invested. We, we have scholars this. here. Who do you oh, listen yeah. to the podcast? <laughs> but it is in Hebrew. It so. is in Hebrew. It is in Hebrew. Wow. Congratulations, Mazel Tov, on that. And uh, good luck with it's the. Uh, with always the, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And um, someone who is in New Jersey and wants kosher Chinese, they'll have to find a different restaurant. As of right now, they're not just selling the restaurant to someone, someone else. Permanently closed. Permanently closed. This was really fantastic. It was interesting. I learned a lot of new things. It's so wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Hopefully, there are no more kosher bombshells. We have to make a quick emergency podcast with you. But if we do, I enjoyed this one. I'm looking forward to next time. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Maybe it'll give us a a primer on the laws of Taruvos. Can we do that? I want it in Yiddish. We'll do the first Yiddish podcast. We'll do the answer, yeah. (laughs) Not even Hebrew. Just we'll, do, we'll do Yiddish and we'll discuss all the topics in uh, Hebrew and Yiddish. I'm looking forward. That's it. Do you want to give your email just to, to people? If Let's say someone's listening and have a, a kosher question. Go to the website, kosherinstitute.com. Yeah. Okay, That's how you get in touch with Rabbi Dubin. It was great to have you here at the Torch Center. Join the podcast. I enjoyed this immensely. It's nice also to do a podcast where I don't really prepare. I just You do all the work and you come here and I just ask questions and we discuss. I appreciate that. My email address is RabbiWalbyGmail.com. Thank you, Rabbi Dubin. Everyone have a wonderful, fantastic day.